bulletin with you, and you've been at this church for some time, you're going to see a very odd, uh, an odd announcement. Lo and behold, even to myself, we elect Jay Jones as an elder for 2022. I am so sorry. Um, Jay is a beloved member of our church, but he did pass away this summer. Uh, and he was a former elder, a retired elder, and I just forgot to take his name off the list. And I am so sorry. But if anybody would laugh at it, Jay would have laughed at that. He'd probably laughing right now. But I am so sorry. I hope that did not offend anybody. Uh, that was, uh, I didn't mean to forget something like that. Okay. All right. I might keep Jay's name on it one day, but uh, just for fun. All right. Well, listen, we, at Christmas, uh, in the Christmas season, there's something that I think we all do. I know the radio stations do. You know what they do? Come December 1st, what are they doing? All Christmas, all the time, all the time. Now, I don't know about you. Uh, I, I won't, we're not going to take a poll. I always get uncomfortable with people take a poll. But I know that there are some people in my house that if you start playing Christmas music before Thanksgiving, you're an anathema. Like, you don't do that. Christmas is after Thanksgiving. But Christmas, okay. but Christmas songs are a part of the season. And some of them are real lighthearted and, and some are real serious. But they do carry a lot of weight among Christians, particularly in worship. And we've been singing them even in, uh, in, in our church services, and we will next week as well. And so I thought, just for two weeks, I want us to dig on the theology of our Christmas songs. And this morning, we're just going to do one of them. You see, when we sing hymns, when we sing Christmas carols, they are, they are communicating a message for centuries Ever since, really, ever since the Christian gospel went out into the world, Christians have been writing songs to sing. This is a tradition going back into the Hebrew Bible where there is what we call the Psalter, the, the 150 psalms, the songs of Israel. Some have called it Israel's songbook. And so at Christmas we sing these songs, and some of them are very weighty. The definition for theology is a study, the study of God, is to know who God is. And so when, we, when these songs are written, they're communicating something about God. And sometimes I think we just sing them because they make us feel good. I mean, who doesn't like to sing some of, the, some of the Christmas songs? But not only do they make us feel good, many of them teach us something true about who God is and about the gospel. And so for the next two weeks, we're, we're going to be in a two-week series. Now, you know, sometimes we go like 40-some-week series. It's just a two-week series, Singing Theology at Christmas. Singing Theology at Christmas. Because when we sing the songs, we are singing something about God. And so that's, that is, the proper term for that is theology. So we sing theology even at Christmas. So the song we're going to take on this morning is the first song we sang this morning. It's going to be the one song I want to dig on, uh, dig into, and that is Joy to the World. Joy to the World is packed with theology. And so I hope when you walk, uh, walk away from here today, you don't listen to that song the same. At least that'd be the goal. So here we go. There's two themes. Two themes in the song, Joy to the World. Two big ones, at least. There's a lot going on in that song, Joy to the World. But two big themes. Here's the first one. Put it up on the screen. There's a royal theme 
and joy to the world. A king has come. A king has come. Now, this is really important because you typically don't think of joy and the arrival of a king. At least some parts of the world, that might mean destruction or oppression. But for us as Christians, we declare it as joy to the world. And the reason that we sing it as joy is because in the beginning, we were created in the image of the Creator, and all things were good. And you know what God did once He made Adam? He then set Adam over the world to govern it in His goodness. And then He gave Eve to Adam, and here you have this pairing, this marriage, that was to govern the world. They were to leverage their responsibility, their God-given responsibilities, to govern the world. And the world would come under the goodness of the stewardship of Adam and Eve made in the image of God. But it didn't take long for there to be a tempter. A snake enters the garden and then tells Eve, but if you eat of this particular tree, then you could actually have more. And you know the story. They eat of this forbidden tree. And their eyes are opened and sin enters the world. And it doesn't take long then, if you're talking in chapters of the Bible, we're into the fourth chapter of the Bible, and there's these two young men entering the world, Cain and Abel. And right there in the fourth chapter of Genesis, so we're not very far into the story, Cain kills Abel. And from there, the world begins to spiral because now it is not goodness. The good use of power, the good use of God's responsibility to mankind. No, now it is violence, it is oppression, it is a grab for power that begins to spread across the globe. Let me summarize it this way, just with that sentence right there. We'll go here. Oh, come, come one more. We'll come back to that one. Powerful people emerged, grabbing for power. And bad kings spread the globe. It wasn't joy that came into the world, but death and oppression. But God chose a people and He promised to send the righteous king who would rule the nations and make all things right. You fast forward to joy to the world. Let's go back to the lyrics. We actually, when we sing the song, we're declaring right there in the first verse, joy to the world, the Lord has come, let earth receive her king. Then in the fourth verse, that last verse of the song, he rules the world with truth and, truth and grace, makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness, the wonders of his love. What you get with the coming of Jesus is the opposite of what you lost or what you gained in the fall of Adam and Eve. In that fall, you, the world gains violence and power-hungry kings. But in Christ comes a good king. It's joy. It's joy to the world. And, and after the world descends, you get God making promises that that king would come. Now, I want, you to, I, want to, I want you to come along with me through Psalm 2. We're going to read it out of the New Living Translation, okay? We're going to read the whole psalm. I want you to see, hundreds of years before this good king arrives on the scene, God was giving a vision that that king would come. It was a promise that one day the nations would bow, would come under the authority of a king God would send. Take a look at Psalm 2. It starts out, why are the nations so angry? 
Why do they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth, they prepare for battle. The rulers plot together against the Lord and His anointed one. That's Messiah. Let us break their chains, they cry, and free ourselves from the slavery to God. You get the image, don't you? The nations are emerging. They're coming up against God Himself, particularly Messiah. The kings will rule the world, not the Lord. Moving on, verse 4, the one who rules in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then in anger He rebukes them, terrifying them with His fierce fury. For the Lord declares, I have placed my chosen king on the throne in Jerusalem on my holy mountain. Verse 7, the king, the king proclaims the Lord's decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Only ask and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. The whole earth as your possession. You will break them with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. Verse 10, now then, you kings, act wisely. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with reverent fear and what? Rejoice with trembling. Submit to God's royal son or he will become angry. One more slide here. And you will be destroyed in the midst of all your activities. For his anger flares up in an instant. But what joy for all who take refuge in him. God promised there would be a day when that disorder, where the world was full of wicked kings, it would be finally made right. An anointed one was coming who would finally bring the nations in submission. And when things finally get brought into order, do you know what happens? Joy. Joy comes when things are brought into order. I don't know if some of you are going to be visiting with uh, family this holiday season. I don't know if, all of, if you love all the family that you're going to be with this season. But could you imagine if you were able to walk into your holiday season and there was no tension? There'd be joy. One of the struggles with the Christmas season, why it sometimes is a struggle to be joyful, is because you've got to be around people you don't like. And that can be a big struggle. So when things are finally made right, when things are reconciled, when things are put in the rightful order, like, like God-human, not human-God, but God-human, when that order comes into the world, there's joy. There's joy. We like things being in order. There's going to be joy. And God promised the day's coming when my chosen one will enter the world. He will sit on His throne and the nations will rejoice as they submit to His Lordship. Now, what's so interesting is that when the record of His coming into the world is written down, there are several things that get recorded. I mean, you can't imagine everything about the Christmas story is actually written in the Bible. There are many things that we don't have recorded in the Scriptures. But by inspiration, by the Holy Spirit, we have exactly what we need to have in the Bible. Interestingly, that part of the story that gets recorded is the nations coming to worship the king. Look at how Matthew writes the story. Matthew, the one who is who quotes from the Old Testament more than any others, interesting that he tells the story, this part of the story. 
I would not be surprised if Psalm 2 was lodged in his mind as he recorded the story of the Magi. Take a look. Matthew chapter 2, we'll pick up with verse 1. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? Well, we saw a star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. No doubt a worldly, violent, evil king would be disturbed that a king has come. A Psalm 2 king has come. We pick up verse 4. When he called together all the people, all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. And in Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for that is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Well, then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go, search carefully for the child. And as soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go and worship him. And after they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were, what were they? Overjoyed. Really interesting. Psalm 2, they're going to have joy. Now the Magi are overjoyed. They're overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. And they bowed down and they worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. This is the king. This is the king that will make all things right. He will bring the world into order. And when things get back into order, there is joy. And so at the Christmas season, we sing joy to the world. Let the earth receive her king. Because this king will make all things right. He's here to solve the big human problem. Now, you know what that problem is. You got it inside of you just as I have it in me. It is sin. There's the big problem. And so that's the second theme running through the song. Not only is there a royal theme that the king has come, but now there's this second theme running through joy to the world. It's this, here it is. It's the salvation theme that there's a savior. There's a savior. Let's take a look at a couple of the lyrics. Notice in the song, joy to the earth, who reigns? The Savior reigns. The Savior reigns. And then in the third verse, No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make His blessings flow far as the curse is found. Just a second, I want to dig on those last two lines. But when the record of Jesus' coming is written down, this salvation theme is also picked up by Matthew. Matthew chapter 1, it's right there where Joseph is giving the dream about why he's supposed to stay with Mary. Matthew chapter 1, take a look at how the account is recorded. Matthew 1, 20-21, But after Joseph had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Because what? He will save his people 
from their sins. That's what this Savior will do. He will save you from your sins. There's joy in that. Now go one, go just take it one step underneath. Another way the Bible talks about sin is as a curse. The law comes in in the Old Testament and it is a curse to anyone that doesn't follow the law. And we know Paul writing in the letter to the Galatians, and we don't have this up on the screen, but he says, Cursed is anyone who doesn't keep the law and therefore Jesus hung on a tree because the law says anyone hung on a tree is cursed. Jesus took on the, our curse in order to save us from our sin. You and I were under a curse. The whole world was covered in it. But Jesus took the curse so that we didn't have to. Now Paul says it another way, not just in this way of the language of the curse. In the Galatian letter, he says it this way in 2 Corinthians. We've read it many times. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19-21. That God was reconciling, reconciling the world to Himself in Christ. Not counting people's sins against them. God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, Christ did not like become sinful, but our sin was laid on Him and the wrath of God was laid on Him. He took on our punishment and then in His resurrection was vindicated and then seated at the right hand of God, and then His righteousness was given to us by faith through grace. There it is. By grace through faith. So there it is. That curse that has spread the world is now being pushed back. Now here's the thing. Now you may not be picking up on this. Now I'm going to try to, I'm going to, try to explain it as best I can. I'm not, I, I would have shown clips, but I'm sure there's some type of copyright law that you're not allowed to show like copyrighted material and then stream it. Not, not, not to mention show it to you, but then stream it online. So I'm going to do my best to describe it. Now, after the big fiasco with the movie Up and Doug, I'm not sure. I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to give it a shot. I'm not sure if you noticed, but Hollywood has picked up on this thing. Hollywood is full of this story. Literally. Hollywood is just a bunch of plagiarists. They've picked up on this story and they've run with it. And they have visualized it for us. Many people not understanding the significance of what they're watching. Take a look just again at this lyric. Take a look at those la the last two lines in Joy to the World. Verse th the third verse. Take a look. He comes to make His blessings flow far as the curse is found. Now grab that image real quick. So the world lays under a curse. I don't, know what, I don't know what a world under a curse looks like. Maybe you can visualize it. Maybe it's barren, black. I don't know. Just think about what that might look like. Just very dark. And now blessings are flowing. And the blessings flow and they move into every space where the curse is dwelling. Can you just, I mean, I'm just trying to visualize that. That's what a powerful image is that there is a flow of blessings and it's, it is going to run into every valley and over every mountain where the curse now lives. All right. So you remember the movie Frozen? I know, I know, I'm trying. In the movie Frozen, 
Arendelle is covered in ice. And it's just getting worse. The winter is pushing down on Arendelle. And there's this moment when a main character actually is overtaken by the winter. It actually started in her heart and then it ultimately turns her into a block of ice. But right at the moment where she turns into ice, do you remember what happens? She shows a great act of love. And do you remember what happens in that moment when that act of love is put on full display when it finally happens? She begins to thaw. You remember what happens to the rest of her body? It all thaws. And then you remember what begins to happen to the lake that is frozen over? It begins to thaw. And it's this massive boom of love. And you see it. The, the Disney animators get it. The whole valley of Allendale goes from ice and storm to green and life and warmth. And sunshine. And it doesn't just all go boom, it radiates. And so I have this image of Christ on the cross, blessings just exploding out of this act of love and a world held by a curse. I think of like, I'm just thinking of Arendelle, I'm thinking like this, this big valley of ice and storm, and all of a sudden it begins to dissipate. Everywhere where light touches, things start coming back. Greenery starts to grow. It's a verdant land of life and warmth. That's the image I'm getting when I sing the third verse of Joy to the World. His blessings flow as far as the curse is found. Give me another movie. They remade Beauty and the Beast. It's a a real life movie, like real human beings acting. And right at the end of the movie, you remember Beauty and the Beast. I'm sure you just get the storyline. Castle full of darkness, lots of bad things. It's under a curse. This really fits very well here. It's under a curse. And there's this moment where if true love is not found, everything is permanently cursed. And all the living objects all the human beings that were turned into clocks and silverware, all of that will now be made lifeless because the curse finally overtook the castle. But there's the moment at the end, and particularly I'm talking about the, uh, it, it, it's the, it's the live version, it's the, the person version, not the animated version. In that one, you see the beast fall. He dies. But he dies Saving beauty. I can't remember her name right now, so I'm calling her beauty. Tell me, help me. What is it? Belle, how, Belle, yes. How did I forget that? Some of you are like, yeah, I didn't know it either. So her name could have been beauty for all I knew. Okay. All right. So, so Belle in that moment holds him. And I don't know if you remember in the movie, then there's like this storm of light that begins spinning and, and, and picks up his body. And, and I'm telling you, they have some of the best music coming behind this. I mean, it's full of sentimental. Uh, it's very sentimental. I mean, it's, I mean, all the emotion is picked up with the music. He's picked up. And what happens? He begins to transform from a beast back into the prince. And that light 
that's beginning to transform him. And literally in the scene, the light begins to spread as far as the curse is found. And the castle comes back to life. And all the teacups and all the clocks, all of it comes back to life. The blessings of that one act of love flowed as far as the curse was found. That is the image I'm getting as I sing the third verse. As I think about our King, who is also Savior, dying on a cross, coming into a world that is under a curse, He takes the curse on a great act of love, and now light is spreading as far as the curse is found. And I don't know what else you could sing but say, joy to the world. Joy to the world. You didn't know all that was packed in that one little song. Right there. It was a, it's a royal theme. The king has come. Things are going to be made right. He is reigning and all nations will submit. And it is a song of salvation. That blessings flow as far as the curse is found. All of it in joy to the world. Now, you know I like to take all that in every sermon, take anything we've studied in Scripture, and I like to bring it into some application right where we live. And sometimes that gets real intricate, right there on the ground where we live. But today i got two real churchy questions for you. I mean, really, these are going to sound real Christianese. But I don't know how else to do it. So you just come with me in this real, this real cliche question you expect to hear at church. Here it is, first one. Are you living like Jesus is really king? Now, I don't really know how to say that without being churchy. I mean, do you and I live in such a way that we recognize Jesus is king? Or is it really your life to live it however you want and you come to church on Sunday and then move about your business and do what you want? The song Joy of the World says, no, there's a king. And submission will come because reality always wins. Go jump off the stairs and just as you leave. George, you just go jump off the stairs when you leave. And the ER will become reality very quickly. Reality will win. So are you living like Jesus is king? Or do you really still think this is your world? Christmas says Jesus is king. So that's really a question. I mean, like, how are you living? I just, I don't know. You've got to have to work that on that. Second question is this. Is Jesus your savior? Now, as I look out the room, I think, well, you say that in a church setting. Like, well, yeah, I'm sure most of you have Jesus as your Savior. But I tell you what, I've been in ministry long enough to know you never take that question for granted. Is Jesus your Savior? Or are you still under your sins? Today could be a day where you repent of your sins. You're baptized for the forgiveness of those sins and you walk in His grace. So I don't want to take that question for granted. But I'm going to leave the Holy Spirit to you, to, do, to, to Him, to do the convicting at this point. All right, here's the next step. We always got something we can do during the week to help us to help anchor the message. You're not going to be surprised. Sometimes I say, listen to some songs. Well, this one seems to be a go-to. Listen to joy to the world each day. And remember, He is the King and Savior of the world. So just every day, listen to joy to the world. And there are plenty of versions. So go have fun. Joy to the world. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you sent your son, the anointed one, as king of the world. He reigns now, awaiting all the enemies to be put under his feet. So thank you. Help us to live in such a way we recognize his kingship. And thank you for him as Savior. 
Thank you that his blessings, blessings from the cross through the resurrection, are still flowing into our world wherever the curse is found. And would you convict anyone listening to this, hearing your word, if they need your son as Savior? So now we go with you into the week moving towards Christmas. And we celebrate Jesus as King and Savior. And together we say, under his powerful name, Amen.